This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Thursday, October 6th, 2022. On today's episode, we're in a spoiler-filled discussion about She-Hulk, episode 7 and 8. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Serretta, and joining me on this podcast is Slash Home Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So, Brad, we haven't talked about the show in two weeks. I was gone last week. Uh... Let's start things off with brief uh, our brief thoughts. What are your brief thoughts on episode seven and eight? Um, so it's interesting, I suppose. Um, this this so episode seven is like a you know a pretty big departure from anything else we've seen mm-hmm. uh, in the series so far. And on one level, that was somewhat interesting. Um. On the other hand, I wasn't really sure that like I I liked very much how how it played out. Like I don't know, it felt almost like it was from a completely different show. Um, I I like I kind of like the idea that it really seems like uh, you know Blonsky has turned a leaf with Abomination that he really does kind of like have his uh, life together and that him and this group of you know uh, villains are like dealing with their own problems and like they wanted to to help Jennifer with her own issues but there's also some of it that just felt kind of silly to me even though like the character stuff was meant to be significant it just felt a little too light for me I don't know um it, it kind of kind of felt cheap in a way like I don't like this episode almost like kind of made it feel like it was like a network show or something I don't know um despite the fact that uh you know the the vfx for she hulk have only gotten better since the show premiered um uh, however i will say i think episode eight uh was actually pretty dang good mostly because of the daredevil at all but also because of how well it balanced the legal stuff uh with the superhero stuff and the comedy actually i think was probably uh the best that it's been largely thanks to the chemistry between um charlie cox and tatiana maslany as uh, daredevil and she hulk so uh, wasn't the biggest fan of episode seven, um, but I think episode eight might be my favorite episode of the series so far. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you here. It's it's funny because I episode seven, I think on paper, if you like read the one paragraph treatment of that, like the support group for superhero or, you know, superpowered people like that sounds like it's ripe for a lot of comedy. And I don't know where it fell apart in execution. I think for me, I think I think it would have been better if they were able to utilize 
more prominent villains from the rest of the MCU as opposed to just bringing in these obscure, (laughs) weird villains because it it made it harder to connect with them. It made it feel sillier, which I know was the intention for comedy. Um, And, you know, these characters do have real roots uh, in Marvel Comics. We did did a whole story on Slash Film about, you know, their origins in comics and that kind of thing and how they were used for She-Hulk. But it would have been nice if they were able to... um, bring in other villains the only problem is is you don't really have any other villains in the mcu who work on this level which made it you know a bit more of a challenge so yeah i don't know maybe maybe it would have been better if they had like more recognizable actors playing these roles just for fun you know obviously that would have been more expensive probably but um yeah something something about it about the collection of characters just didn't work for me yeah and it's it's interesting too because i'm i tend to want to agree with you there brad but then episode Eight brings in, uh, what's Frogman's name? Uh, uh, Leapfrog. Yeah, Le- I think that's his name. Leapfrog. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and Leapfrog is hilarious. I loved everything with Leapfrog, but like, I feel like I don't know. I also think this is like part of me wonders: is this a me thing? But yeah, you seem to like agree with me. So maybe you think it makes me believe that it isn't a me thing. And I I think I've explained on this podcast before. I love serialized TV. I I really want a TV show to feel like, you know, a movie told over 12 to 20 episodes. I don't like episodic, uh, special bottle episodes. I don't. It's part of the reason why I don't like sitcoms, which I know Brad likes sitcoms. Uh, I so mean, now I, it, nowadays there are a lot of great sitcoms that are more like more serial. You know, I mean, yeah, stuff like The Office, Parks and Rec, things like that. But they feel like I don't know. They're not as serial as like the the big dramas and stuff. They're not no, of as course, like, of course, yeah. Um, so I I, w- I was watching episode seven. And I was wondering like, is this a me problem? Is it? I know, I'm not liking this because. You know, they basically took uh, – they pulled the brakes. You know, the, the story started going. We'll talk about it in a second. But, like, you know, the episode starts pretty fast. And then it's just, like, the brakes get pulled on and you get put put into the side storyline. And I kind of, like, I want to – I don't want to deal with the side quest. I want I want the A storyline. So, um I don't know. That's that's just my thoughts on that. But I will say, episode eight was yes, my favorite episode of the series. I think so far, and it, it's just so wonderful. I I don't understand how the same writers are working on this because the the writing on the stuff that is between like Daredevil and Jennifer, and even Leapfrog, like seems so cleverly written, and like the jokes just hit so well, and like. Compared to episode seven, I, I don't, it, it feels night and day or compared to the, you know, Johnny Blaze episode or whatever his name was. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a matter of that I'm, you know, that I like Daredevil and that I'm seeing, you know, <laughs> that I'm uh, getting a character that I know from something else that I like in the show. I, I don't think it's that. I think. They're Actually, done. I'll I'll back up and I'll say for me it's definitely not that because oh I have yet to watch a single episode of any of those Marvel Netflix shows. I never got caught up in them, never felt compelled uh, to watch them, especially after they got canceled. Uh, so I don't have any affinity for this version of Daredevil or Charlie Cox as as Daredevil. But I like what he brought to this episode and the dynamic between the, the two characters here. Yeah, those two actors just have so much great chemistry together. 
Okay, let, let, let's get into it. Let's just jump into it. Uh, episode seven opens with a montage, which is a pretty fun montage. Jennifer going out on on a couple dates with that guy Josh, and uh, that she met at the wedding. And it's edited in this really fun way, and it's it's fun finally seeing Jennifer have some fun, right? Like, um, and it also perfectly captures the those early days of falling in love when you fall in love with someone, and like like the uh, just the joy, but also nervousness when like they're not re- you know replying back to your text messages, what, what's going on, um, and of course she's left wondering why Josh has not responded to her text messages. And not just for one day, but into the weekend. And uh, what did you think of this whole opening sequence? Yeah, it was, you know, just really kind of uh, charming and delightful. You know, it, it felt like a, a, you know, something you would see in a, you know, a romantic comedy. Um, and it was probably, I think, like maybe the most, um, I don't know, uh, I guess, co- confident that like the romantic stuff has felt to me in in this show. Uh, and maybe this is because it's emulating, you know, the kind of romantic comedies that, you know, I, I like on the uh, in movie form and stuff like that. But but yeah, it was uh, it was a very enjoyable opening to the episode. And I also love Jen at home on her couch watching um, Miss Piggy use her like super strength to break out of jail, yeah. which is just a, a great, um, great synergy there with Disney owning the Buffets and owning Marvel and, you know, having this character who is also a strong woman able to, you know, use her. Her strength. I don't know. I just thought it was funny. Uh, okay. Um, thankfully, she doesn't have any weekend plans because uh, she is asked by uh, Bonsky's parole officer to come with him to check out because in, his inhibitor inhibitor has been malfunctioning. Um, so uh, road trip, we go to the what would you call this a a farm a a retreat retreat yeah and uh um he he fixes the inhibitor leaves but just then jennifer's car gets in the middle of a squabble between man bull and l agula i think uh who are both at a ranch or the retreat or whatever you want to call it working out some issues and as you mentioned, uh, you know, Slash Film did a great article rounding up all these characters. All these characters are from the comics. Man Bull was a Marvel supervillain who appeared in the early 1970s, first in an issue of Daredevil, and El Aguila. What were you going to say? Aguila. Ag- How do you pronounce it? Aguila. 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 Okay. Uh, well, he is a character from the comics, and he is patterned after Zorro and his name means the Eagle. And he first appeared in power man and iron fist in the early or the late 1970s. So, uh, without a working car, I now at this point watching the episode realize that we're now going to be stuck in another episode where Jennifer is stuck at this compound for the entire episode. And I was annoyed already. And, um, I guess on the bright side, we get to spend the episode with Tim Roth, but I was having so much fun with this plot moving forward with this fast moving opening montage. And it really felt like it, this was a literal car crash to, to the story. It's forward mo- mo- uh, momentum of the plot, if that makes sense. 
so, okay. Uh, Jen searches the entire ranch for cell service and eventually finds it in the closed meditation retreat meeting between these superhuman characters that includes the previous characters that we mentioned, but also porcupine and uh, Sacrin. Is that what it is? No, Saraken. I, I am bad at pronouncing these names, guys, so I apologize. Saraken, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, these are two different characters uh, that are, are also based on Marvel Comics characters. So the interesting thing here is Porcupine. Uh, there's two different characters in the Marvel Universe who are named Porcupine. The first appeared in Tales of to Astonish in the 60s, and the other appeared in... Daughters of the Dragon in 2006. Uh, the character is based on the former, not the latter. And um, I like the character of Porcupine. I, I, I'm almost sad that they're, they're kind of wasting away as a joke because, uh, the, I, I mean, I've never come across him in the in the comics, but uh, he sounds cool. He has like this, this suit of battle armor that he's designed for himself, composed of steel and advanced plastics that enhanced his strength and durability the armor is equipped with a wide variety of offensive and defensive weapons built in the outer surface of the armor is covered with razor tipped metal quill like project projections which can be fired at opponents and the armor's other capabilities include laser beams uh uh bombs small rockets tear gas sleeping gas smoke screens uh, a bunch of stuff but uh i also wanted to mention that the battle suit included belt jets which allowed him to fly for short distances uh which makes me think he shouldn't be called the porcupine he should be called the hedgehog there you he, go he can be moved real he can move really fast anyways um and also uh there are two characters uh named Sarakin. Uh, the first of them is an enemy of the Punisher. The second is this vampire uh, who's in a sect called the Ancients. And this is the vampire one. And uh, it, I think it's a little interesting. I would like to be in the meeting, Brad, where the writers have to go to Marvel and be like, okay, we, we want to use these characters. And like they list off a bunch of characters and like, I want to hear which ones Marvel says no to. <laughs> yeah. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Because I, I think they probably proposed a bunch of characters that they were like, no, we might have plans for that guy. Or, you know, they're not going to cast like just some, you know, not a big name TV actor in a character that's going to be a big part of a movie later on. Right. What did you think of uh, all these uh, all these superhero characters? Yeah, I mean, the one that I enjoyed the most was the same as you. I, I liked Porcupine. I liked the guy's personality, and I thought the performance was pretty great. Um, but but again, for me, like the overall concept just felt just silly, and I didn't really connect to it in a, in a comedic way. Um, and it just felt, I don't know, it felt like an easy way to try and like push a little bit of character development on Jennifer Walters without doing anything that really felt, uh, I don't know, emotionally significant to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, there was another character there. A surprise character came in, and it's one of the guys that was in that wrecking crew that attacked her um, earlier on in the season. And uh, I will say, I kind of like the fourth wall breaking in this episode. Um, so 
she did this thing where she breaks the fourth wall and is like, you probably don't remember that that is. So I'm going to do it previously on. And then she explains, uh, you know, there's one of those guy, guys in the group and not the the masked guy that we thought was Todd, but and uh, one of the unmasked guys. Um, strangely, he's not scared of her. And uh, she throws him into a wall with stacked chairs and they come tumbling down and man bull is upset because he just stacked them and i i gotta admit i i actually laughed out loud at that one um Emil, uh welcomes jennifer to join the circle to work on the issues that she has with the guy and the attacker apologizes does he ever give his name i didn't look in the credits that attacker guy that's part uh, of the i don't remember actually yeah i don't think he gives his name if it, there he might have a name but it, it's probably just in the credits he apologizes and uh he seems to have experienced some kind of change and uh i actually buy it and and uh jennifer is kind of bullied into talking about herself and her current situation with her dates and they all make fun of her for actually messaging him concerned uh, which something that she shouldn't have done and uh Jen gives this whole big speech about how being the She-Hulk is like cheating. It's being like the, you know, the popular girl at school that uh, didn't need to try. And I will say this. We've talked a bit in the past on this podcast about her character arc. And we were kind of unclear what her character arc is. But I think after the speech, we get it, right? Yeah. Yeah. um, It's... I think right now it's she needs to find some some people that love her for being Jen and not She-Hulk. Um, and uh, the group values her and helps uh, helps uh, she, they like try to get her to stop using She-Hulk as a protective shield. And she turns back to Jen. She now trusts the group and uh, Porcupine follows by removing his mask, which stinks up the whole place. Um, I love in the in the credits you actually see like Porcupine's suit getting uh, dry cleaned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the so they convinced Jen to delete Josh's number from her phone, yeah, which is probably a good thing. And then uh, we then see Jen come out of a hut. What is going on here, Brad? Like, is that like an ayahuasca thing or? I don't think it's an ayahuasca thing because that's like a hallucinogenic kind of thing. I think it's just meant to be like, you know, like when you go to a spa and you just kind of unwind and you just kind of like, re- you know, relax and like come out of yourself a little bit. And so I think it was just, it was just like a thing of like a just a something she needed to do for herself, kind of like a self-care thing. It's amazing all the things Abomination has at this ranch. But uh, <laughs> OK, uh, the group says goodbye to Jen as the tow truck driver has arrived to tow her car. And we cut to three days earlier, and we finally see what happened to Josh. So while Jennifer was sleeping after they had sex, uh, Josh copied the contents of her phone and sent them to Hulk King. Brad, I told you so. I told you this guy was in on it. Yeah, he sure did. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. And nobody else knew. Uh, I think everybody knew. But (laughs) I'm going to claim the the win on this one. No, nobody else. Nobody else knew. (laughs) No one believed me. Um, okay. In the end credits, uh, we see um, – actually, there's nothing. There's no mid-credit scene in the end credits. I feel like they've abandoned this mid-credit scene halfway through the season because there's yes. no mid-credit scene here or the la- uh, episode eight. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on that? 
I mean, it seems weird, but whatever. <laughs> so that's the end of episode seven. Is there anything else you want to say about episode seven before we get into episode eight? Nah, I don't think so. Let's just get into episode eight. Okay. Episode eight begins with a couple of crooks robbing a store, and they're confronted by confronted by the Leapfrog. This is a character from the comics. He's a small-time... In the comics, he's a small-time loser, but skilled inventor who makes, like, toys and stuff, uh, who made himself a suit and started a life of crime, only to be stopped by the Daredevil and later join the Defenders. So uh, here, he's just... Um, how would you describe me? He seems like he's from money. Like his father has some serious money. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, he activates his boosters on his boots and yells his catchphrase, time to rabbit and rip it. No. Wait, no. Ri- time to ri- ribbit and rip it. Ri- ribbit and rip it. Is that the worst or best catchphrase of all time, Brad? Uh, maybe both. <laughs> it's also <laughs> the name of the episode. Um, so the suit catches on fire, causing third degree burns, and he goes to She-Hulk to sue the maker of the suit, which turns out to be Luke Jacobson, who is also, of course, the person who makes She-Hulk suits. And that is a conflict of interest, but her boss doesn't want to let her get out of it. She already had a you know case with conflict of interest. She did went to court, and this one's lesser. So, so he suggests trying to go to Luke and settle out of court. So She-Hulk shows up at Luke's shop. By the way, uh, before we get to that, uh, I think when we were talking about an earlier episode about She-Hulk's boss, that we were wondering, you know, we both kind of expressed some speculation that maybe he, like, there's a reason why this guy is, like, spending all this money for the superhuman law division because it doesn't seem like there's, like, a lot of money to be made in it. And now that we only have one episode left, Brad, what do you think? Do you, do you think there's anything there? Or do you think that was just like a, uh, you know, where were we were we wrong? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, that's the craziest thing after this episode is like we're still stuck in a position where like it's not necessarily <laughs> clear who like the primary antagonist or like villain that she's gonna have to face uh, will be, which is interesting and also somewhat concerning (laughs) i don't know (laughs) a lot of the marvel shows do that though brad i mean like agatha was only revealed at the the end of the pentultimate episode so yeah but that was kind of a unique situation too where like that that kind of like made sense you know because there was there was kind of the idea of like we knew that there was something was going on um and like there was an intentional mystery as to like who and there is a little bit of mystery here in that regard but like I don't know. It just feels weird to like save the reveal of like the full villain until the, you know, the last episode. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, I'm kind of getting tired of that formula as a whole for the Marvel TV shows. Uh, but OK, so She-Hulk tries to get off the case, do the um, or wait, she sh- shows up at Luke's shop and explains the situation. And Luke is unable to consider that his work could possibly be defective. Not only that, but he threatened to never make a suit for her ever again. And um, thank goodness the the quality of his work is good enough that she could probably wear the suits that she he's made for her for many years to come. So, uh, representing Luke in court is drum roll please, Matt Matthew Murdoch, uh, which is a great entrance, right? 
I didn't see that coming, to be honest with you. I, I don't know what I was looking for. I didn't know how – I don't know what I was expecting – how I was expecting him to enter the show. But um, I don't know. I thought that was good. So you've never seen an episode of Daredevil Correct. at all? Correct. Correct. Not even the first one? Nope. Didn't watch any of it. Have you watched the movie with Ben Affleck? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, does this – does seeing Matthew Murdoch in the show intrigue you at all to go back and watch any of the Netflix series? Uh, I don't know because like, I, I'm not sure if they're going to like roll in any of the actual like history from those shows into the MCU as it is now. Um, or if these are like different versions of the same, you know, character with just like the same actors playing them. Um, because I, I've heard some good things about it, especially with regards to the action and Daredevil and stuff like that. But, um, I've never heard anybody like rant and rave about how amazing those shows are. So I've never been like, oh man, these are, these are must sees for me, you know? And I feel like I, I kind of know everything I need to know about Daredevil (laughs) to like get his, you know, position in, in the, the MCU as it is now. So, um, and I feel like that their goal probably with the new Daredevil series coming out is going to be kind of to redefine him a little bit anyway. Yeah. So I don't, I just don't know if I think if it's necessary for me to go do that. I mean, it is called born again. So, I mean, I, you're taking a shot in the dark by saying that, <laughs> uh, no, uh, I would say the first season of Daredevil is actually worth watching or like worth maybe like uh, Brad, I know sometimes you put things on in the background while you're like working. It might be like a good one of those. Um, I think they're going to keep some of the. I don't think they're going to go against any of the storylines told already, but I don't, I also don't, I think they'll reference some of it. Like, okay, here's an interesting thing. So in that, those shows, Daredevil is living in hell's kitchen in New York, which he even mentions in this episode. Um, so he's in town in, uh, LA here. And, um, back home in those shows, he has a, a guy that builds his like costume who and like in ep- in season three or four spoilers for daredevil on netflix but that guy ends up like either getting killed or arrested so in this show his suits are made by this luke guy which to me gels with like oh that guy got arrested or killed and now daredevil is having his suits made by this guy and this other super suit guy in LA. So I don't know. I'm not saying that it is going to be connected, but I feel like, I feel like it is, but I also feel like you're not going to get penalized for not seeing it because that's that's how Marvel does things. But, um, okay. So, uh, there's this argument between Murdoch and she Hulk in court. That is, I don't know. This whole courtroom thing is more of what I wish this, the courtroom stuff in the show was. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure if the writing is more snappier or if it's just the, that we have two great actors who have chemistry together going back and forth. What do you think is going on here? You mean as far as like why this works better? Yeah. Yeah. Part of it, I think, is the chemistry. The other part of it is it kind of feel, like it feels like that there's like some stakes for um, Jennifer Walters uh, and She-Hulk as a character because of what's going on here, you know? Like, it's something that affects her 
um, you know, in a, w- a way probably more than any of the other cases. You know, even the stuff with Blonsky wasn't really anything that was going to have like a huge effect on her as a character, despite the fact that, you know, Blonsky was somebody who had a conflict with with Bruce and uh, Incredible Hulk. But it's yeah, I, I think it's a matter of just like it being a little bit more integral to her story and what's going on with her character at this point that it, it act, the case actually kind of matters. And um, yeah, there's there, there's definitely like something different, I think, in the the writing too. just like the, the back and forth feels a little bit more uh, clever. And yeah, it's just yeah, some, something all of that, I think, makes it feel like it's a, a step up. Yeah, and Murdoch is arguing that superheroes deserve a different level of privacy than celebrities because they have secret identities and people that care about them and also supervillains that are trying to kill them. And uh, the motion to compel the discovery is denied and Murdoch uh, smells the jet fuel uh, and is able to get Leapfrog to admit that he didn't follow the manufacturer's instructions and that the case is now completely dismissed. And uh, She-Hulk begs Luke to... uh, your teller again and uh he's not going back oh there's one thing i wanted to mention here that i I skipped over murdoch mentioned that the sokovia discords have been repelled repealed repealed is that something is that new piece of information i didn't look that up it is yeah so that's that has huge implications for the marvel cinematic universe it does um what are those implications, Brad? I mean, basically, now the government isn't in control of, you know, the um, Avengers. They're, if they're doing superhero activities, they're not going to be branded uh, as criminals, you know, going rogue and doing stuff that they're not sanctioned to do by um, the, whether it's the United States government or the larger you know, international body that came together and made the Sokovia Accord. So basically, uh, I think it's what this comes, what it comes down to, I think, is that after the events of Avengers Endgame, everyone probably realized, hey, maybe we shouldn't be dicks about this since they just uh, saved everybody and brought everyone back who was snapped away five years ago and, uh, you know, kind of just let things play out. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I and also, uh, you know, there's not going to be superheroes forced to, like, reveal their identities and, uh, you know, other stuff like that. And uh, it's interesting that this is just all casually... You know, this has been the <laughs> a big deal in um, a couple of the movies, and it's kind of like all dismissed away and ca- casually in like one line of dialogue in She-Hulk TV series. I don't know. I just find that kind of kind of uh, funny. But um, okay, so uh, Matt sends Jennifer a green apple teeny at the bar, and the two have a drink, and uh, Matt kind of inspires Jen to be the the boast of both of best uh, the best of both of her worlds and I will say that I'm finally you know like I'm finally good with the like, I wish they had kind of seeded this character arc in a little bit better in the mid season but uh, I kind of like I I finally see where they're where they're going with this and um that tech bro Todd that Jen went out on a date with contacts her about an urgent matter and she goes to meet him and he was at an auction and he spent a million dollars on an authentic Wakandan war spear. And, uh, you know, there's a fun douche moment here where he's like claiming to have studied in Wakanda and doing uh, a very cringeworthy Wakanda forever thing. 
that makes Jen uncomfortable. And he also tries to hit on Jen again, uh, and she leaves in a hurry. Uh, but the thing I wanted to ask you, Brad, do you think the reason why he won this Wakandan War Spirit in the auction, do you think it was because he wanted the the um, the, the the metal there? The uh, wait, what, uh, I'm blanking on the name. Vibranium. The, vibranium, yeah. Do you think he wanted the vibranium for some nefarious purposes? No, I think he's just like a douche bro who like wants to spend his money on cool things like that, especially because like they had him say that thing like we're talking about, like no one has, you know, a better collection of African stuff, you know, than me. And it's this guy. This guy's just a just a freaking blowhard goober. OK, uh, I still think he's using the vibranium for that needle thing uh, that he's trying to get her blood. But uh Okay, when I, she, I, I'm not sure he's necessarily caught up in that. I mean, because like he he seems like he's just really really just uh, an asshole, and I don't think that he's doing anything nefarious. I'm gonna disagree with you on this one, Brad. Next week I'm gonna be like, I told you so. Okay. Okay. Uh, when when she gets home, well, I agree with you that he's an asshole, but I think he's more than an asshole. I think he's in on this like whole group thing. Um, so when she gets home, she receives a phone call from Leapfrog who is being attacked he says so uh he was on his way to a secret lair called the lily pad which i think is hilarious well a not so secret lair <laughs> yeah we find out later because there's a, a huge neon sign um brad i want to watch a show about this idiot the uh, Leapfrog I'm, not, show. I'm not gonna go that far but he <laughs> but he was he was fun for this episode yeah. Um, okay. So She Hulk finally puts on her super suit and saves Leapfrog. And uh, it turned out he was being pursued by Daredevil. I so I guess in this one, this one uh, moment, Brad, they're unveiling the Super Mario Brothers trailer right now. I know. <laughs> as I we just, speak, I was just paying attention to that too. Did, did, did you did you pull this up on your? We're going to do a live reaction of the Super Mario Brothers in the middle uh, of this. <laughs> yes, in the middle of this because I can't pay attention, not pay attention to this. Uh, so we're watching the beginning of this trailer with Bowser coming out of fire. It looks cool so far, right? I haven't brought up the video yet. I oh, you haven't brought up the video. No, I couldn't find the link. I got it though. Oh, I don't know. I'm not listening to it, so I don't know what it sounds like, or you know, maybe I should turn it up because I, I got to know what what does uh what does Chris Pratt sound like as Mario? We haven't heard him yet. <laughs> okay, this I know this is compelling podcasting right here, but it, I, I I have to watch this. Okay, I like Jack Black as Bowser. But I wasn't questioning if I was going to like him or not. I finally found it. Now who's going to stop me? The CG of the Super Mario World looks really good. Kingdom, here we come. 
What did you think of the voice, Brad? I hate it. I hate it. I couldn't really hear it that well. I will say, I oh, Luigi running to the castle. I like the look of it. I want to thank. Oh no! Oh, it's turning soft. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, that was. Uh, it's not even like it's not even anything dramatic. What do you mean? Like, uh, for all the the lead up to like them talking about Chris Pratt's, you know, voice as Mario and everything, it's not even. It's mostly just Chris Pratt sounding a little bit more, I don't know, like youthful in a way. I guess I, it's. Re- yeah, one of the people in our Slack channel says literally, it's Pratt's voice is just him with a hint of Brooklyn, <laughs> which I think is is about right. Uh, I don't know. I think it looked like visually, it looked cool. No? Uh, yeah, I do like the texture uh, that the animation seems to have. Um, like, there's something about it where it doesn't feel like like polished computer animation. It feels like it it, it almost has like a... Uh, it looks like it's kind of like clay in a way. Not not that the animation is claymation, but just <laughs> that the, the, the texture of it looks like it's made out of like a Play-Doh or something in a way. Yeah. Okay, let, let's get back to, to She-Hulk, but... Um... I don't know. I'm more impressed by that than I thought I was going to be, to be honest with you. Uh, okay, so we have this scene where Daredevil shows up and also She-Hulk shows up in her new outfits. So we got two new outfits here. Uh, She-Hulk looks a lot like her outfit from the comics and Daredevil's new outfit has like a yellow helmet. Is it yellow? Is that what you'd call it? Mustard? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, Jennifer says, you know, bold choice to go with uh, ketchup and mustard for your color scheme. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, and it's weird, too, because in certain lights, it kind of looks like baby poop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've never heard it described as that, but that's okay. Um, I, his, and I'm not sure if people know this, because, like, uh, in the comics, his first costume was, like, a yellow suit. Because uh, it was yellow and red based on... Uh, yes. I think his father like was a boxer. There's this whole like origin story thing going that, you know, obviously that every superhero has. Um, what do you think of both of these suits? Uh, you know, the She-Hulk one wasn't a surprise because they had released um, yeah, an action figure of her in like what this suit kind of looked like. And it's pretty much exactly what I was expecting. Just like basically an athletic bodysuit. Like it looks like a, something that she might like, you know, do training in uh and yeah she looks she looks fine uh the daredevil suit i'm a little less fond of i don't really like the color scheme of the the red and yellow here um especially in certain lighting it just it just doesn't look appealing to me uh i like i like the the texture of the suit and i like um how it's like put together as far as like the materials they made to uh to use it but i just i don't like the color scheme very much i wonder what the approach was of like why they needed to give daredevil a new outfit like is is there some creative is it creative or is it like you know um the people involved with the other show were responsible for his complete look there so it needs to be changed i think it's probably both and and also the idea that that, um like we talked about before that this version of daredevil probably isn't the exact same version of Matt Murdock that we know from the Daredevil series on Netflix. I'm sure that this is that, that it's probably, I don't know if it'll ever actually officially get explained at some point or anything like that, but I feel like those Marvel Netflix shows will be part of a completely different 
uh, version of the MCU, a parallel universe um, kind of thing, you know, like, like we've talked about with the multiverse with Dr. Strange and Spider-Man and all that. And I think that this version of uh, Matt Murdock is uh, a different one. And so that's probably why they want to differentiate between him from the, the one from the Marvel show. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, um, so you haven't seen the Daredevil TV show, but the action in that was, um, I don't want to say impressive, but like it's one of the things that was um, praised a lot, especially like they, they would do these like long one take action scenes. Like there's like this famous one of him in the hallway taking out people, um, but it was very hard hitting and very like um, grounded and uh here it really feels like some impressive acrobatics that like it's it's more on the level of the comic books. And uh, what did you think of the action from Daredevil in this whole sequence? Uh, so the, the one thing that I do know about Daredevil was is about the action. I had seen like snippets of uh, you know what they refer to as the staircase fights and uh, stuff like that. Very well choreographed uh, single shot sequences with a lot of. Um, good fight choreography and whatnot. And so this felt like it was like hitting that same vibe. They wanted to, you know, bring that back to uh, Daredevil's reintroduction to the MCU, if you will. Um, Not quite as uh, thorough or extensive. Um, And obviously, you know, She-Hulk jumps in the middle of it, which makes for a pretty decent gag. Um, But, but yeah, it was, it was, it was solid. Yeah. And uh, She-Hulk jumping in the middle basically allows Leapfrog to escape. And there's also a Rogers, the musical billboard in the background, so are we to assume that Rogers the Musical has now made its way to Broadway or made its way over from Broadway to Los Angeles now? Or are they just advertising all the way in California for for New York? Uh, it could be both. I mean, it's it, <laughs> I, there's plenty of times when stuff from New York comes over to L.A. for a little bit. So yeah. I think I think it's definitely possible. Yeah, it's playing a, a, you know, a month run at the Pantages or something. Um, okay, so she unmasked Daredevil to learn that he's actually Matt Murdock to the shock of nobody, even you. And uh, he tells her that Leapfrog has kidnapped Luke Jacobson and is holding him hostage. So they go uh, to find him. They arrive at Leapfrog's secret base, which is not so secret. Uh, it has a huge neon sign. I think that's brilliant as well. And I also want to say I love the inside of this lair. It's all like dark with green lights and fiber optic cables hanging down and almost look like a bioluminescent forest and has like a frogger machine and they have a bunch of uh trampolines that people can jump on i don't know what they do with the trampolines but jump uh, around (laughs) what did you think of luke frog's lair his uh, uh his lily pad I should yeah say. i mean it pretty much felt like uh i expected it to maybe a little bit the the aesthetic was a little more uh even more frog based than i i thought you know i i expected it to be like this kind of man cave situation but the fact that it felt more like a a layer from like a joel schumacher batman movie was also pretty <laughs> funny you even had um a frog signal in the background i'm not sure if you saw that almost like the bat signal yeah see and then and the, like the lily pads in his like uh little water thing had like springs on them and everything uh i like leapfrog a lot um okay so leapfrog is forcing luke to make him a new costume against his will i think that's what's going on there and uh daredevil and jennifer have this discussion about the difference between henchmen and goons and i I just love all the conversations between these two i i think there's like just like a great chemistry and they're just like uh these conversations are just cleverly written and uh, Dare- Daredevil is able to hear the heartbeats of the goons in the building. 
leaving Jennifer in disbelief. And he says, I can hear your heart too. It's beating fast. And, um, which sounds like a line out of like the Ben Affleck daredevil, to be honest with you, but, but it really worked for me here. So Brad is daredevil the guy that she's been looking for this entire time. Um, maybe, you know, I think what's interesting about this is that, uh, they don't, those characters don't have a history of romance in, in the comics. They're, they're allies, both in law and superheroes and whatnot. Um, but they, they don't have this, uh, you know, long love story that has unfolded in any, any of the Marvel comics stories. So this would yeah. be a new element and it would be an interesting one to introduce because if there's one thing that, uh, is lacking in a lot of the Marvel movies, it's a uh, good romance for the most part. You know, I think Guardians of the Galaxy has done it pretty well. Um, Thor had some trouble with it. The best one is probably um, Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter. Uh, in, yeah. You could maybe say Tony Stark and Pepper Potts, but their relationship, even though it was always at the forefront of like Tony's motivation and stuff like that, their relationship uh, never felt like it was like super well developed. It started taking a backseat, I think, after the uh, the first Iron Man movie, um, especially into the Avengers movies, even though that final moment in Avengers Endgame does does hit pretty hard when when Pepper you know has to say goodbye to Tony, uh, but but yeah, I think doing something like this, like having you know a proper uh, meet cute and developing this kind of relationship between them, could be interesting. It's also interesting because he lives in New York, she lives in 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 California. Can they make it work long distance, Brad? Maybe that's what or, the, the next season is going to be about. <laughs> or maybe that is why it works because they got their space, right? That, that's true. Yeah. Um, so leap, I also love that Leapfrog's goons are called tadpoles, which they don't seem too happy about. Yeah. And uh, we see this dark alleyway fight, which is very reminiscent of the Netflix series. Uh, he takes out uh, them all and then backup arrives and then She-Hulk smashes them from above and... Uh, I do want to say the action in this episode, I think, is uh, series best as well. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, back in Leapfrog's mean room, we see uh, that, uh, well, She-Hulk and Daredevil come smashing in and take out all the henchmen. And they save Luke. And Daredevil takes out the goons. They they, they talk about how uh, maybe they could get Leapfrog off on smaller charges and there's like a bit of a uh, fun conversation as like the actions going on. I just thought it was, um, uh, better than anything we've seen, uh, thus far in the series. Uh, so Jen and Matt go back to her apartment and they're making out, they're getting intimate. And, uh, I love the slow pan over their like super suits as the door shuts. Um, and then we see the next day, uh, daredevil walking home, with his boots off and his uh, bare feet, uh, which is kind of funny. And um, and I got to say, out of all the the fourth wall breaking, I think I like the next scene's fourth wall breaking the best, where Jen, Jen comes out of the bedroom and like goes on the couch, and she's like, it's weird that you're, you guys are still here, to like the audience, and it's just like, it doesn't feel like this episode, it doesn't, doesn't feel like this episode should be like over at this point. What did you think of that? Yeah, I think this was the most uh, clever that the fourth wall breaking has been, especially like acknowledging that the finale is coming, uh, you know, her dropping, you know, the spe- speculation that everyone else has had about a Red Hulk showing up was pretty good. I also like the the sex humor here, too, because she said something about, you know, coming to a satisfying conclusion. She's like, and trust me, I did. 
Uh, so like there was there's there lots of there was lots of really good stuff here. Like uh, this, you know, this um, you know, among the rest of the stuff we've talked about is why this uh, was my favorite episode of the season so far. Yeah, it just seems so much cleverer than the the rest of the show. Um, okay, so uh, Nikki comes over to help get her ready for the gala, leading to what she what uh, Jen expects is going to be a big set piece, leading to into the finale episode. And at the gala, Jennifer is supposed to be presented with the Female Lawyer of the Year Award. But um, the twist is that she's one of five or six different women who are being given that award. Um, But as she's giving her acceptance speech, the the Hulk King comes on the screen and and with his like little uh, 100% soft avatar. Uh, and he uh, emoji avatar and he exposes a video or he exposes all the stuff that's on her phone, which I'm not sure. What is that sp- stuff on her phone supposed to prove? Like she had a wallpaper of Captain America's ass. But I mean, other than that, like, I don't feel like any of that was like. I think it was just it was mostly intended to show all the, the embarrassing stuff about her, about her private life, you know, hacking, yeah. into, like her dating and all that stuff. And then it's 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 kind of um, you don't hear it very well uh but there's a part at the end where the one of the people the mass people on screen say that she's a slut so it's really this big old yeah sl- slut like, shaming thing no yeah the slut shaming thing i totally got but it just seemed like they went out of their way to get this information from her phone and i didn't get the phone thing other than like it being you know i mean i would be upset if i had an invasion of my privacy and yeah, I th- I think, my phone. yeah i think that's what it's yeah. about is just yeah exposing all the stuff that she's been doing and everything and showing yeah. that like she's kind of a joke in a way i guess yeah them showing on screen was a little weird but then um obviously they put uh the the guy that they set her up with josh recorded them having sex and like like you said they slut shamed her and they showed that and th- that i totally uh understand uh, that I totally like that, that, um, her, her getting mad there. She, she basically, you know, smashed the video wall. Uh, she, she, she got angry. She hulked out, uh, at, at that as well as, you know, I think she should have. And, uh, and, uh, it was kind of a, a gigantic invasion of privacy. Yeah. And I think that, but that's, I'm, I'm sure that's also what they wanted as well yeah they were they were trying to do that also i think it was interesting too the way that they basically kind of made her a red hulk with the way they did the alarm and the lighting and everything oh i didn't even see it that way that yeah that that makes sense they did use the red lights um so yeah what her prediction was did kind of come true in a way okay so uh she runs after a guy wearing a mask which I'm going to say, Brad, that guy wearing the mask that she almost unmasked looked a lot like that Todd douche guy. I know you're, I know you're <laughs> saying it wasn't, but it just did. And outside, she's met with a whole SWAT team of da- from Damage Control. Oh, wait control. a minute. Sorry. I thought I, – earlier, I thought you were talking about the guy who um, who bought the Vibranium Sphere. Wait, isn't that the same guy? Or am I like mixing things up in my mind? No, there was a, there was another dude that she went out with who was also like a um a jerk. Remember? Oh, maybe maybe it is different people, and that's, I'm completely that's who, that's who I was talking about. But I I could also be getting the name wrong too, though. Maybe I just wasn't. Yeah, because okay, yeah, because Todd is the guy who bought the the vibranium spear. Uh, yeah, that's from... the guy that I think 
everybody like played back like that scene from the Wrecking Crew, and there was one guy in a mask, and it sounded a lot like that Todd guy. Oh, see, I've been thinking that it was the it was the other guy that she had dated that we didn't uh, someone else that maybe we didn't trust as well. I think. Oh, okay. Um, no, it's that guy, and uh, so she go, goes outside. She's about to rip uh, the mask off that guy, whoever that guy is. Could be Todd, could be someone else. Doesn't really matter. Um, and outside, she's met with a whole SWAT team from Damage Control. Who, Brad? Damage Control got there real fast. Yes, they did. <laughs> uh, they had their laser sights on her, and we cut to black. Great cliffhanger. I will say this, Brad. I didn't see any of this coming. Uh, well, I, I honestly didn't see a romance uh, involving Daredevil and She-Hulk coming, which seems so obvious now in retrospect. And I didn't see, you know, them turning her into a monster and th- this going th- down things, uh, things going down like this uh, at the end of this episode. What, what did you think of this? Or do you have anything else to say about the end of this episode? Um, one of the things I was wasn't sure of necessarily is when at the very in the very last shot is she turning and like looking at us in like a panic or is she looking at somebody else off camera that like we don't see um wait what are you asking in the last shot of this episode she like she turns and she's looking is she looking like into the camera at us as the audience or is she like does she see somebody and like it's supposed to be like a cliffhanger as to like She's looking at somebody and we don't know who it is. Oh, I didn't even notice. I just assumed she was looking at us. Okay. I mean, that makes the most sense, but I wasn't sure if maybe there was like going to be something that like they lead into. Maybe she sees somebody and like she's going to be surprised by something. I mean, you could be right. I, I didn't take any big note of that. I just assumed it was kind of like, oh, no, I look at the situation I got myself in. Yeah. Uh, she basically didn't follow, you know, uh, Hulk basically was like, you know, don't ever let them see you as like a monster or whatever he said. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, no mid credit scene, although I wasn't expecting one this time around. And um, do you have anything else to say about this episode before we get into speculation? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Here's the part. I'm not quite sure. I understand is what is Hulk King's big plan here? Because we saw weeks ago, that he had what looked like a vibranium me- needle to get her blood. And we know that he's Hulking's the guy that with the needle because he tweeted, you know, he texted the needle emoji. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so if Hulk, and we know the Hulking was in charge of Josh, right? Yeah. And Josh could have stabbed her with a needle while she was sleeping. So why, why didn't, they just do that instead of setting her up to in this plan that could have could have you know could have gone a different direction there there's a universe where she could have restrained herself and not like turned into an angry hulk and smashed the thing do you know what I mean like it, it feels like the easy thing would be after having sex for josh to you know hit her with the needle and run well i'm not necessarily sure that we do know Josh and Hulk King are working together for sure. Yeah, I think I, I think what it is is they they might have needed a way to because first of all she needs to be She Hulk for them probably to get the 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 blood right. 
Oh, okay. So you're saying they they can't get the blood when she's Jennifer. That's what I'm thinking. Um, mm. So it's what they probably need is they probably need her to be She-Hulk, and they also probably need her to be uh, restrained. So maybe getting her, you know, apprehended for doing this and causing problems is a way for them to easily access her somehow because maybe they have somebody out like on the inside somewhere, whether it's damage control or, or, or whatnot. Um, you know, and, and maybe, or maybe they're hoping that they can, they've gotten her so mad that maybe she can't easily transform back into Jennifer perhaps. And that's, that's how they're hoping to, to get it to. I, I don't know. It, um, I don't know what the next episode of this is, Brad. Like, is it a court case with her trying to get out of uh, jail for, you know, destroying things and possibly putting people in harm's way? That could be it's, part of it. Um, you know, I think we we still, I feel like we still have to see Titania come back and we have to figure out exactly, you know, what's going to happen if this, uh, if Intelligentsia and whoever's behind them gets their you know uh her blood and what they're gonna do with it It just we're at that point where it just feels like so much has to happen in this final episode and since these episodes are meant to be like shorter i just don't know like what they're gonna do and how it's gonna feel satisfying i'm you know this it's it's kind of concerning in a way yeah and also another episode where we don't see or hear from the hulk and i'm starting to believe you are correct that we're probably gonna get like an end credit thing on the last episode yeah using whatever the hulk's been up to i mean that's exactly what we thought with uh with captain marvel in the marvels or, or in Ms. Yeah. Mar- in the Ms. in Ms. marvel so that's yeah. you're right there okay uh, anything else to speculate on brad that's all i had no that's that's pretty much it um yeah so next week is the finale and uh we'll be back here next thursday to talk about that uh, as always, you can find more of all of our work at Slashman.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at Slashman.com. Although, if you send your speculation, uh, by next week, we'll already know the answers. So if you're going to send speculation, maybe send speculation in um, after you've seen next week's episode. Um, yeah. So, uh, and also... Get on over to Apple Podcasts. Please rate and read this podcast. And uh, we'll see. Ben will be back tomorrow, I think, with a news episode. And we'll talk to you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.